Auzubillahiminashaytanirrajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all day listeners Welcome to another edition of the Wednesday Morning Breakfast Show Here at the Voice of Islam studio in uh, the Betul Futu Mosque, the largest mosque in Europe You are joined here in the studio by myself, Muhammad Attar and brother Halim Ahmed How are you doing this morning brother? I'm doing very well as Always, Alhamdulillah. How have you been? Yeah, Alhamdulillah. By the grace of Allah, the Almighty, you know, it's uh, it's, it's been good. We're all just recovering from yeah. the largest from the, the the large annual gathering that we had. Yeah, it's the largest um, in Britain, I believe. Yeah. The largest Muslim gathering, right? Muslim gathering. We had around uh, over forty-one thousand guests 41, this, 000, this, yeah. this time, which was record high, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, it wasn't the highest that we've had. As uh, you know, His Holiness mentioned, he said there was one in two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. It was thirty-nine thousand. And this yeah. was a few thousands more, I believe. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. So, so yeah, the so attendance, yeah, 40, yeah. That is, it's a, it's a big number. It's yeah. a huge number. And to cater for that many yeah. guests, you can just imagine mm. for three days yeah. as well. And it's it's a it's a city which we literally basically it's, it's, build. It's, it's in like a, a mini city weeks, we yeah. build in a few weeks, and you know, there's you get uh, breakfast, lunch, and, and dinner. dinner. Yeah, exactly. So and guests from all over the world. Yeah. So it's an international yeah. gathering. Yeah, yeah, Alhamdulillah, it was it was a very successful. Event, yeah, by the grace um, of God. We, you know, as always um, on the Voice of Islam uh, radio on the breakfast show, we always uh, first we discuss, uh, you know, the news and the weather and sorts, and then we go into our segments of the morning. We do have an interesting, uh, we have some interesting topics for you guys to discuss this <coughs> morning. We, uh, for the first segment, we'll be discussing less food for free school meals, and then for the second segment, we will be discussing. Allergies emergency incidents increase drastically So we do hope you know that you'll find this very interesting And you can uh, you know you can always tune in uh, As this is a live show The number to call in is 0286877878 Or you can tweet us at the voice of Islam UK For now please don't go anywhere and do join us after a very short break Simplified answers to frequently asked questions what is the difference between Ahmadi Muslims and non-Ahmadi Muslims? This needs a very lengthy answer, but briefly, the main difference is in the belief concerning the advent of the Imam Mahdi, the Prince Messiah, and the Reformer of the latter days. Non-Ahmadi Muslims expect that he will be sent by God in fulfilment of the prophecies of the Holy Prophet and are waiting for his advent. On the other hand, Ahmadi Muslims believe that his advent has already taken place and that the prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian, who also claimed that his advent fulfilled the prophecies that were mentioned in the scriptures of different religions about the coming of a reformer in the latter days. The followers of these religions, including non-Ahmadi Muslims, are still waiting for his advent. As for Ahmadi Muslims, as a result of believing that his advent has already taken place, they enjoy many blessings that other Muslims are deprived of. For example, Ahmadi Muslims enjoy the institution of Khilafat, which means that they are all united under one leadership and are escorted by a guided spiritual leader, while other Muslims remain divided and they disagree amongst themselves concerning many issues. Also, Ahmadi Muslims follow the true teaching of Islam as a result of following the teachings of the reformer of the age. The very important difference between the two is that Ahmadi Muslims believe in a living God whose attributes remain the same at all times, 
while other Muslims believe that some of his attributes have become idle. For example, his speech with his sincere servants. They think that he used to speak in the past, but for some reason, at the present time, he has stopped communicating with his servants through revelations. The Holy Prophet foretold of a prophet, one which would be the second coming of Jesus Christ, a Mahdi, a reformer, who would revive Islam and lead it forward into a new era of success. The Holy Prophet requested his companions to convey his salam to this reformer of the new age. He said, when you hear the advent of the Mahdi, then enter into his fold, even if you have to walk on snow by crawling and creeping to reach him. The role and sole purpose of this subordinate prophet was made clear. He would revive Islam, unite all its sects, and establish a caliphate which would strengthen Islam and lead it forward into a new age. I give you the glad tidings of Mahdi, who will be raised in my ummah at a time of digression and distress of people. He will fill the earth with equity and justice as it is filled with oppression and violence. But how could this promised man recognize that he was the one? It could only be through a revelation from God and this revelation was received by the noble and humble Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad in 1891 in the small town of Qadian to the east of Damascus. It is now the duty of every Muslim to come forward and accomplish the appeal of the Holy Prophet to join in to the fold of this Prophet, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad the Reformer, the Mahdi, the Promised Messiah. I call to witness God Almighty who holds my life in His hand that compared to every other soul, He has gifted me with overwhelmingly greater ability and access to the understanding and the deeper wisdom of the Holy Quran. If any of the Maulvis who oppose me in response to my repeated invitations had attempted to outshine me in the exposition of the Holy Quran, God would have most certainly frustrated his attempts and exposed his ignorance. Hence, the understanding of the Quran which has been granted me is a sign of Allah, the Glorious, and I have full trust in Allah's grace that soon the world will begin to see that I am true in this claim. That is why God Almighty has established Allah for His servants, that they should first acknowledge Him by believing in the unseen, so that all the problems they face may be resolved through the bounty of true understanding. But it is a pity that a hasty one does not adopt these ways. Writings of the Promised Messiah on one occasion, this humble one saw, in a state of vision, Surah Al-Fatiha written on a piece of paper, which was in my hand, and the writing was so beautiful and attractive, as if the paper on which it was written was loaded with soft rose petals beyond count. As I recited the verses of the Surah, many of these rose petals flew upwards, producing a sweet musical sound. The flowers were very delicate, large, beautiful, fresh and full of fragrance. As they ascended, my heart and mind were perfumed with their fragrance and I felt so intoxicated that the delight that I had experienced turned my heart completely away from the world and all that is in it. This vision indicates that the rose has a special spiritual affinity with Surah Al-Fatiha. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture, Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful Welcome back to the Breakfast Show, dear listeners So we'll be, you know, now we'll be discussing the weather and the news So in terms of the weather, you know, uh, especially here in the UK We've had, um, I would say we've had decent weather We've uh, had decent weather Because yeah. compared to the rest of Europe where apparently there's like a huge heat, heat, wave. heat wave going yeah. on and like I think it was Italy they yeah, were saying Italy is like wildfires and yeah. stuff as well Italy, yeah. So it's, it's it's really in Spain as well. Spain as well. Yeah, I think the whole of Europe has yeah. had high temperatures. It's just here, like it's it's, it's typical British yeah, weather, isn't it? Like we're an island nation, <coughs> maybe that's why. Yeah, we're surrounded by water. By water could, could be could be the case. It could, could be the case. But um, yeah. But we're used to showers anyway. So to be honest, I prefer this than than having like forty degree here. If it if it's like uh, 25, 28 that's all mm. right. But as soon as it goes to like 31 to yeah. 32 The thing is In this country it's, yeah. it's, it's just not In this country I think the it. sun It stings you yeah. more than other countries yeah. So for that reason I think I can understand Why people don't really Well they complain yeah. more When the sun is out For a longer yeah. time And it's high temperatures But if it's like 25 to Even 28 It's not too yeah, it's, bad Yeah it's not too that's bad That's bearable and good, I, yeah. I, I, That's better than this weather Yeah But like This is typical weather You're used to it Yeah you're used it's, to it it's, it's, it's fine And like a 28 here yeah. Compared to 28 for example In Dubai yeah. It's a completely different story It's, 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 it's just different Yeah it's completely different right. In those countries You can go to like 45 yeah. And it won't hit as bad Yeah As like a 30 Yeah But yeah Or it could be the fact That we're not used to These oh. high temperatures yeah, could be, could and be. it affects us more in a different way. And those people yeah. living over there. But the thing is, but when we do go to those countries, no, like and I, those I, in in Pakistan, I've been to Pakistan, and it's not. It doesn't feel as bad. The sun doesn't sting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. Even I've been to Malaysia as well, and it's not that bad. Like hmm. it, there, it was like forty, hmm. forty degrees, but it, it's very humid, hmm. right? Yeah, it's but very humid over yeah, there. Though. Very humid. Those countries. Yeah. Yeah, because they're like surrounded by the sea and stuff yeah. as well. Um, but um, it's not as bad. Maybe there's something in the air, something in, in, that in, 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 in Britain a- atmosphere, yeah. yeah, something, yeah. But we were lucky enough to not have too much rain in our mm. um, annual gathering that we hold as a community. Yeah. Um, during the days, but before and after was mm. that's when the rain did crept in. So we were speaking about uh, you know here at the breakfast show we were speaking uh, earlier about uh, exercise and like why it's important. So. Yeah. Uh, the like health experts say there's a study that suggests daily steps needed to cut risk of death much lower than ten thousand. Uh, an increase of one thousand steps a day was associated with fifteen percent reduction to the risk of dying from any cause, and five hundred more was linked to a seven percent reduction from dying from cardiovascular disease. Hmm. So a five-figure step count has often been you know the daily minimum recommended like around ten thousand people figure. say. Yeah, hmm. five figures, ten thousand, right? Mm-hmm. But just apparently three thousand nine hundred sixty-seven steps is enough to reduce the risk of dying from any cause. Hmm. So it's um, yeah. And I'm are sure. these just walking pace? It's, or? Yeah, it's just steps. It's just walking. Oh, is it? You don't need to run it. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. Is that a new study that's just recently come yeah, out? Yeah, it's right? recently come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think yeah, it's it's, it's a good sure. way to yeah. start, especially yeah. for those that are looking to get into hmm. um, exercise. I'm sure four thousand steps is it's not a lot. It's not a lot for in a day. No, yeah, I don't in think a day. Especially if your your work is local hmm. in the area hmm. and you're able to walk to work and walk yeah. back, I think Definitely. that should cover these steps. Definitely, and uh, you know it's um, 
it's just like it's beneficial for you it's more healthy for you you'll be if your like work isn't that far and you drive there if it's say it's a 10 minute mm. drive but it takes you 25 minutes to walk there mm. yeah it's healthier yeah just just to walk yeah. because i know a lot, of, a lot of petrol yeah, save exactly, a lot of things exactly with the crisis that we're going uh, through right now it's beneficial every for every, counts, yeah, right? exactly but i also know a lot of people who live just down the road but they do mm. they will prefer to drive some because mm. maybe after work they have to head off somewhere yeah just walk back yeah. home and then pick up your car but but every everyone's got their own yeah. <laughs> way of thinking isn't it yeah. so so, so uh, <coughs> someone in my office our office is in Mitcham uh and he lives in Tooting mm. and so he it, there's so much traffic like the times he leaves in the morning and mm-hmm. uh, you know rush hour right yeah, yeah. uh so he says sometimes like he's he walks home and he walks back and he walks to work as well he says uh it takes him about 45 minutes or so mm. and sometimes he gets home before the bus Yeah. And he li- because of the traffic, yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so yeah. he's like, and we um, know the, the way the traffic yeah. is in London. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to walk anyway. Yeah. So in, you're in getting, that tooting yeah. area, you know, it's crazy traffic, exactly, exactly. especially at that time. So he just walks home. Yeah. And he's like lost quite a bit of weight, mm. weight as well because of it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. A lot of people that I know are cycling to work as well. That's mm. a really good way of losing weight. Definitely. And um, obviously, you you save your money as well. Mm. So the more you exercise, the healthier you get. better it is hmm. everyone should it should be encourage everyone to um, so stay fit anyway and in uh, <coughs> other news think tank has warned that uh, UK is at risk of recession next year hmm. the UK is on a course of ex- uh, to experience five years of lost economic growth and is at risk of a recession next year according to an uh, economic think tank hmm. The National Institute of Economic and Social Research said uh, by 2024 income inequality will have grown along with unemployment and levels of debt. Um, you know the study basically mentions what we're seeing nowadays anyway, mm. right? The rich are getting richer mm. and the poorer, you know, they're getting poorer. Mm-hmm. Because inflation <laughs> is uh, you know it, it goes up by like say like it goes up by a much bigger percentage than the uh, wage increase that the government has given to <coughs> to you know the a, a the public se- yeah, sector but yeah. that's not everyone even the minimum wage hasn't kept up to what the inflation is going up yeah. by right it's true minimum wage should be increased as the exactly so the, the prices due to inflation the prices of everything else is going up in in shops and stuff yeah Uh so but the wage is staying the same so yeah. it's affecting a lot of households. Yeah. Everyone I, I would I would say maybe 80% mm. of the households in UK will, are affected by this. Yeah. Because everything is up. And and we and we can see if you go to a normal shopping mall now mm. or a shopping center to do your daily groceries your bags will be filled up. Um what sorry will not be filled up yeah. with the amount of money that you're using as and compared to before. And speaking of the bags like I understand you know it's for so we don't uh, you know use uh, plastic as yeah. much and you know doesn't harm the uh, doesn't harm the environment but the bags are 30p <laughs> nobody wants is <laughs> buying them anyway yeah. <laughs> like if i have enough stuff and i can carry it in my hand <laughs> exactly. i just carry it to yeah. my car exactly 30p it, like, it doesn't is sound a lot anyway. but like say if you've got a lot of stuff that's you need three bags that's almost a pound gone yeah that's another <laughs> pound <laughs> with with the current climate obviously current crisis everyone's yeah. thinking if we should go th- for the bags anyway mm. Definitely. No, I mean I get it. It's a good incentive that people, you know, they bought the bags. A lot of people they they bring the bags from home now. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, even, even me, I, I'll yeah. I'll have a lot of bags, bags stored in my yeah. bag, and I'll just take it. Out. Sometimes I even forget to take yeah. my uh, bag in, hmm. but before I pay on the till, I'll just run out quickly yeah. and bring yeah, it. Yeah, literally. There's yeah. no point. Exactly. 
and especially those solid bags, mm. they're they're around forty fifty p now. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot. It adds up. <laughs> mm. Like if you wanted a solid bag back in the day, like you know the Sainsbury's one, they used to cost like what ten twenty. Yeah, and and the plastic bags were free anyway. Yeah, so, the plastic bags yeah, was what, free. always free. It always free. But yeah. So I I don't I believe there's no bags that are free now. No, nothing is free. No. Yeah, they used to do those really little, you know, flimsy ones. Yeah, no, but even those are even like though they started pr- uh, pricing that on those. Yeah, and then they got a better bags, yeah. and then they increased it to ten yeah. p, then twenty, yeah. and now it's thirty. So, it's, so yeah, it's, if it's your crazy. hands can do the job, then yeah, then you don't need it. I guess. Yeah. Uh, yes. There's another news story that the Northern Ireland police officers their details were exposed in a monumental breach. Yeah. Um, Uh, A data breach has exposed the names and rank of every serving police officer in Northern Ireland. Mm. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, exactly sure the story doesn't quite mention, you know, I guess there was some sort of uh, mishap or a (coughs) mix-up. Yeah, they've mistakenly uh, revealed it. Mistakenly, yeah. yeah. uh, Of of, of all its 10,000 staff. Exactly. But uh, apparently they managed to, you know, uh, the addresses haven't been leaked. Mm. So... um, it says private addresses thought to be safe, so hopefully. Mm. Yeah. So, so the um, apologising to officers, the assistant mm. chief constable, um, who's named Chris Todd, said um, the error was unacceptable. Mm. And he also added that we op- operate in an environment at the moment yeah. where there is a ser- severe threat to our colleagues from Northern Ireland mm. related to terrorism. And this is the last thing that anybody in the organisation wants to be hearing this yeah. evening so yeah it's it's good uh, to hear that they are concerned hmm. that did that this incident did take place and i hope they are taking action so in the future these details are not breached and it's basically <clears throat> an attack on their safety isn't it hmm. you never know what's basically. being leaked out there and what can happen with those details yeah yeah uh, that is, you know, something that's happening. And, you know, in terms of the cost of living crisis for, you know, those on the lower end, mm-hmm. um, there's a, an article on the BBC News titled <coughs> Benefits Taken Away to Pay for Utilities Without Consent. The government is still deducting money from people's universal credit to pay their utility bills, despite it losing a legal case concerning other benefits. So uh, last year, high court judges said a scheme which allows money to be taken from people's claiming benefits to pay energy bills was unlawful if the claimant had not first consented. But the ruling did not cover people on universal credit and BBC News had (coughs) found thousands are still having money taken. (coughs) Excuse me. The government says uh, the policy is fair. Uh, it said the scheme protected people from the potential serious consequences if bills were not paid, including homelessness, disconnection, court action and ultimately imprisonment. But critics say it's unfair because, uh, you know, if they're taking uh, and they'd have to be taking an average lump sum, right, mm. from someone who's getting. Uh, so they've deducted um, missed. Uh, the, the person in the article who's speaking, uh, her name is Miss Timpson, she said that uh, she had faced deduction several times without her consent, including when an energy company <coughs> wrongly deducted £80 a month mm. for a year and a half for her non-existent debt until 2019. She had already settled and closed her account with the company. Mm. So there, there must be, you know, uh, many... Things like that, you know, even people on benefits, yeah. the majority of them, I'm guessing, uh, I'm I'm not exactly sure of the figures, but majority of them would be paying their bills, right? Otherwise, you know, the government would crack down on it. Yeah. 
But um, uh, in this uh, scenario, they would automatically deduct it from your from the, what you're, yeah, get, you're getting, getting yeah. and um, it could be more mm. than what you're actually paying mm. or what you have to pay. Yeah, then there's nothing left. Yeah, exactly. So they'll be um, struggling even more. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Which is yeah. a shame, but uh, you know, hopefully they they fix this as well. Yeah, hopefully in general, just the whole uh, financial crisis hmm. is uh, fixed once and for all. But as you mentioned earlier, the um, think tanks were saying that yeah. it's due to be going for furthermore two or three years, right? Mm. Um, another the, another news, uh, ULIS scrappage scheme, more than half of fund unclaimed. So two thirds of applicants for the ultra low emission zone mm. scrappage scheme have not yet been successful. Fresh figures show the transport for London data shows 60 million of funds remain unclaimed from an original pot of 110 million. And Mayor Sadiq Khan has since added 50 million more, promising that Londoners will be able access up to 2,000 to replace non-compliant cars from 21st of August. Mm. So as, as, there was a <coughs> uh, sorry, as there was a scheme going on before, I think uh, it was a year ago, mm. if you had a non-compliant car and you were to scrap it, the government will pay uh, up to 2,000 pounds for you to scrap the car. Mm. So Sadiq Khan, who's the mayor, has um, um, brought this scheme back and he's promised that Londoners will be able to access up to £2,000 to replace their non-compliant cars from the 21st of August, which is mm. end of this month. Yeah. <coughs> so if you do have a non-compliant car and you want to benefit from this um, scheme, then it, it can be beneficial for you. Mm. Um, so... Uh, our listeners may not be aware, <coughs> but um, BBC.com, <coughs> in uh, you know, it's like a, it's a barge, which is like a type of ship. Uh, it's been uh, you know moored in Portland in the Portland port of Dorset, and it's housing around 500 uh, refugees. And one of the refugee has uh, you know come forth saying that it's basically like um, a prison, mm. right? Um, uh, an Afghan asylum seeker uh, has told the BBC <coughs> the sound of locks and security checks gives me the feeling of entering Alcatraz prison <laughs> because basically they, they have uh, this proper tight security over there mm. they have times that they can go out and then they ha- go by a bus uh. if they want to go long distance and then come back and then every time they enter they have to go like a proper security check mm. as if like they're at the airport or mm-hmm. something Right, and they have like certain hours. And, and this is a uh, housing. Yeah, this is uh, for for refugees. Okay, okay. It's 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 like a, a ship basically. Oh, okay, okay. Right, uh, in 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 Dorset. Mm. Um, but they feel like they're in. Yeah, in because there's there's twenty four seven security mm. there, and they've been given like ID swipe cards that have to like to enter mm. and to leave with, and um, there's no curfew. But, uh, you know, if they're not back on time, th- there's going to be a welfare call, mm. basically. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah. they're just saying that this, the, mm, it's not a good um, good system, a uh, mm-hmm. good, uh, you know, thing in, in, in place. And many of them entered Britain 9 to 11 months ago by airplane, mm. not, not through, you know, some asylum. They, they, they uh, did asylum in this country, mm-hmm. but it's not like they came by boat. Yeah. Um, and but now they're having to live on a boat, so yeah, yeah. ironic. 
Uh, yeah, hopefully um, everything. Yeah, you know we've spoken about this before as well. The government says it's spending six million pound per day, yeah. housing more than fifty thousand uh, migrants in hotels. Yeah. So it'd be best if there's so many abandoned buildings that you could just use a touch up, and you can you know. True. I think if there. we would just drive down London anywhere, yeah. you will. You're bound to see some abandoned buildings. Yeah, hundred percent. If they, 100%. that could be used for a benefit, then why not? Definitely. Or you know, um, as we do on the on um, <coughs> our annual gathering, we you know set up set these big marquee yeah, tents. tents. We spoke about that as well. Could yeah. be good for temporary accommodation yeah. until you know uh, proper accommodation is found. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, and I I believe it'll be cheaper to mm. set up marquees and tents. Yeah. Then, then refurbish some buildings. Hmm. But uh, also, yeah. We were discussing this um, earlier as well that um, we're the only creatures on this planet who pay to live on this planet. That's true. You know, it's That's quite true. strange. <laughs> uh, if you think like, of it that um, way. You can't just like go off grid and just like build a house. Mm. Yeah, right. You, you You could. You could like in a forest or somewhere or like in the mountains. Uh, but even then, like if uh, if the local authorities find out, they're gonna yeah. be like, oh, some you know, kind of tax will yeah, be coming away. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the land yeah. that you're that you've built on, yeah, you like owe some kind of yeah, or something, exactly. Or it's like whatnot. Exactly. But like, the thing is, as soon as you step up, step foot outside hmm. your door, yeah, and you come back from a day out, hmm. you've spent how much? Like, <laughs> <laughs> on a typical there, there, day. There was a video uh, yesterday I saw of a person. She's like, "Here's how far out five pound will get you in London." Yeah. She got on the tube, <laughs> and well, then she got off, <laughs> and she's like, "That cost it. me five pound sixty-four, so exactly. I'm in debt." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, the situation yeah. nowadays. It's true. Five pound could get you quite far back in the day. Back in the day, yeah, five yeah. pound was a was a big like amount. say say a decade ago. Yeah, five pound yeah. you're like so uh, for example ten pound was yeah. a lot. If we were if when we were in school, yeah. in secondary school, yeah. which was around 10, 10, 10, 15 10, years 10, ago, 15 years yeah. ago, yeah, even two pounds, yeah, you say that was more than enough for lunch. Yeah, more than more enough. than enough. More than enough. Yeah, exactly. That would get you maybe a box of chicken and chips yeah. and a drink. Yeah, and you can't even imagine that mm. today. I don't think you that's like nowadays. Now it's it, one crisp, it's one pack of crisp is like two pound. Yeah, that's how expensive things have gone. If you want like a chicken chips and a drink nowadays, like, it's like six seven pounds yeah, minimum. Exactly, it, yeah minimum. Mm. And that's a normal chicken shop that you have in South. That's East the cheap cheap ones. Yeah, the cheap yeah. ones. It's not even when I'm talking <laughs> about KFC or Domino's or something like that. And yeah. if you had five pounds in those days, that would last you a week somehow. Mm. Yeah, you could. Yeah, it could. exactly. But nowadays, it's we're going to be uh, discussing regarding yeah. free school meals as well. Yeah, I believe. So, uh, dear listeners, we'll be taking a very short break, and then <coughs> we will be moving on swiftly to our first segment of the morning. We'll be discussing in regards to uh, free school meals as well. Um, so, please don't go anywhere, and do join us after a very short break. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi salam. It should be remembered that God Almighty by demanding faith in the unseen, does not wish to deprive the believers of certainty of understanding the divine. Indeed, faith is a ladder for arriving at the certainty of understanding, without which it is vain to seek true understanding. Those who climb this ladder surely experience for themselves the pure and undefiled spiritual verities when a sincere believer accepts divine commands and directions for the only reason that God Almighty 
has bestowed upon him through a righteous bearer, he becomes deserving of the bounty of understanding. That is why God Almighty has established a law for his servants, that they should first acknowledge him by believing in the unseen, so that all the problems they face may be resolved through the bounty of true understanding. But it is a pity that a hasty one does not adopt these ways. Simplified Answers to Frequently Asked Questions What is the difference between Ahmadi Muslims and non-Ahmadi Muslims? This needs a very lengthy answer, but briefly, the main difference is in the belief concerning the advent of the Imam Mahdi, the Prince Messiah, and the Reformer of the latter days. Non-Ahmadi Muslims expect that he will be sent by God in fulfilment of the prophecies of the Holy Prophet and are waiting for his advent. On the other hand, Ahmadi Muslims believe that his advent has already taken place and that the prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian who also claimed that his advent fulfilled the prophecies that were mentioned in the scriptures of different religions about the coming of a reformer in the latter days. The followers of these religions, including non-Ahmadi Muslims, are still waiting for his advent. As for Ahmadi Muslims, as a result of believing that his advent has already taken place, they enjoy many blessings that other Muslims are deprived of. For example, Ahmadi Muslims enjoy the institution of Khilafat, which means that they are all united under one leadership and are escorted by a guided spiritual leader, while other Muslims remain divided and they disagree amongst themselves concerning many issues. Also, Ahmadi Muslims follow the true teaching of Islam as a result of following the teachings of the reformer of the age. The very important difference between the two is that Ahmadi Muslims believe in a living God whose attributes remain the same at all times, while other Muslims believe that some of his attributes have become idle. For example, his speech with his sincere servants. They think that he used to speak in the past, but for some reason, at the present time, he has stopped communicating with his servants through revelation. Writings of the Promised Messiah, alayhi He is wonderfully omnipotent, and marvellous are his holy powers. While on the one hand, he allows ignorant opponents to attack his friends like dogs, on the other hand, he commands the angels to serve them. In the same way, when his wrath comes upon the world and his anger surges against the wrongdoers, God watches over and protects his chosen ones. Were it not so, the entire mission of the people of God would end in disarray and no one would be able to recognize them. His powers are infinite, but they are revealed to people in proportion to their belief. Those who are blessed with certainty and love and sever all ties for him and have broken free from selfish habits, it is for their sake that miracles are shown. God does what he wills, but he chooses to demonstrate his miraculous powers only to those who break from their ill habits for his sake. In this day and age, there are very few people who know him and believe in his extraordinary powers. Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. What is the concept of life after death in Islam and Ahmadiyyat? Islam teaches that life continues after one departs from this world. Death means leaving this world to live on in a different place and form, which is not physical. The material body within which a person lived during his presence on this earth will disintegrate after death and will remain on this earth while the soul moves on and continues to live within another body 
that has formed according to the person's deeds and actions during his life on earth. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. A new station, the Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion, and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the Voice of Islam. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show, dear listeners. Uh, we'll be delving into our first segment of the morning, Less Food for Free School Meals. Free school meals were first introduced in 1906 after the Parliament passed the Education Provision of Meals Act. The, uh, this provided free school meals to children in primary schools. Before free school meals, children often went to uh, school un- undernourished and hungry, meaning they were unable to learn and teachers would often buy the children food for their money. Uh, we do have an expert with us, uh, a caller, uh, a guest caller with us uh, this morning, and we will be speaking to him more in regards to this. Yes, um, our guest caller's name is Ian Byrne, I believe, if I'm pronouncing it properly. Hello, Ian. Hello, good there? morning. How are you today, Ian? Not too bad, not too bad. Um, yes, Ian, um, we were just wondering if you could um, introduce yourself to our listeners so my name's Ian Byrne, I'm the Member of Parliament for Liverpool West Derby and was elected in 2019. Yep. And Ian, I wanted to ask you, what is food insecurity? So, to put it quite bluntly really, food insecurity is when somebody doesn't have the resource uh, to provide themselves and their families with a diet which keeps them fit, healthy and able to live. Uh, a, a life which they should be living, which they deserve to live. Yeah, and you are leading the Right to Food campaign in Parliament, um, I believe, right? Yeah, so I lead the Right to Food campaign in Parliament. It's a national network of many, many people mm-hmm. uh, from right across the UK. Uh, and the idea is obviously to 
to force systemic change. And at the moment, what we're seeing is stick and plasters putting on the situation that we face as a society. And what we need to do is f- fundamentally rewire uh, society. And we feel as though we're back to food to keep part of that element. Mm. So, so in your opinion, why are free school meals so important? Well, free school meals are the building block, uh, you know, for children going in to reach their full, their, their ability to reach their full potential. And at the moment, we've got over 4 million kids from right across every community uh, going hungry. Uh, there's 1.9 million children who are eligible for free school meals. Mm. But universal free school meals is what we're just striving for. And there's many countries across the world that actually do this, there's many looking at it uh, but if you look at somewhere like Portugal where the kids sit down together they break bread together in a in a really beautifully dignified manner uh, they're getting what they need from a nutrition point of view so they can go to the back to the class and they don't fall asleep at the tables because they're hungry because that's what's actually happening so regardless of your, uh, where you are within your family's economic position uh, you can actually know that your child's going to go to school, it's going to get fed, and it's going to be able, as I said, to reach its full potential. It's an investment in this country. You know, when we when we put our children into school, we don't ask to pay for the pencils, the pens, uh, mm. the equipment that they use to learn. So why would you take? Why would you put a price on a fundamental building block in that learning process, which is taking away the hunger? And as I said, speaking to so many chill, uh, teachers uh, over the last three, four years of the campaign that we've been running, because uh, universal free school meals is a key element of the right to food. You know, teachers tell us that kids are going to school hungry, falling asleep, unable to concentrate. I mean, how unfair is that? You know, but again, you know, when I speak to ministers, when I speak to people from across all political parties, you know, we do say, you know, these children are the investment in our country's uh, future and success as a, as a nation and we should be ensured that they've got every opportunity to enable them to succeed and that's why universal free school meals are so hungry four million children in the six richest country in the world going hungry is an mm. absolute crime isn't it yeah I, I agree with you and um what would you what advice would you give to the families who are not able to provide um such meals for their kids how what who do they reach out to for these free school meals? I mean, that's a really, really, really good question, you know, and I think there's so many organisations uh, actually, you know, striving to keep people afloat in their communities. In Liverpool, we've done something with fan, uh, called, called Fan Support and Food Banks, and we've got six mobile pantries, uh, and last year we fed over 100,000 people uh, across the city, working with many, many elements, stakeholders in the city, including Muslim communities being absolutely magnificent uh, through the mosques, uh, assisting our efforts. Mm. But it's a stick and plaster. And for me, if somebody's struggling, they need to look at what they've got within the community, reach out know, to the councillors, uh, obviously politicians like myself who can signpost them to some... You've got, you've got, you've got organisations who do provide uh, assistance and help. Uh, but again, we go back to the, the stick and plaster. Uh, what we need is a fundamental reward in the society. But if you're struggling, reach out to your local trustful trust, your local food banks, independent food banks, your local community. And as I said, that's what uh, 
you, you may need to do to keep yourself afloat because when I touched on this morning, when we touched on earlier, the food insecurity, at the moment in my city of Liverpool, one in three are food insecure mm. and that's reflected right across the country. Now, the Food Foundation done a survey saying 17.7% of the population are in food uh, poverty. Now, it's terrifying. these are terrifying figures. Many of our listeners are in that position. Uh, so, obviously, reach out. You know, don't suffer in silence. Do everything you can using all the agencies possible. But, you know, join the campaign for the right to food because, as I said, we've got a fundamentally rewired society so it's a lot more fairer, equitable, and we ensure that nobody goes hungry, as I said, in the sixth richest country in the world. Something's completely broken and we need to fix it. Mm. Hi there, Ian. Could you, um, you know, tell us a bit more about the right to food campaign and what its key demands are? So the right to food campaign... Uh, when I came into Parliament in 2019, I stood on a manifesto with the right to food in it uh, as a Labour MP. And then what we decided to do was obviously keep that uh, at the forefront of politics because as we've seen, you know, hunger is a huge issue. Yeah. And also hunger is a political choice. Choices mm. are made in the place where I work, the Westminster. Mm. Decisions are made which cause hunger, yeah. which cause food poverty, but also equally could, uh, you know, help to solve it. If you look at, you know, what Sadiq Khan done in London, hmm. uh, you know, with uh, universal uh, free school meals uh, for all primary children, you've also got uh, councils in London hmm. actually looking at providing secondary school meals, so making it completely universal. So hmm. their political choices which are getting made to alleviate the suffering in their community, they're a key part of the right to food. So as I said, in 2019, hmm. uh, I got elected to Parliament. I'd already been working with organisations such as France Support and Food Bank, which we founded to fight food poverty. So it was something which was always going to uh, push and, and, and try to lead on. Hmm. So the idea was simply to create what would the right to food look like. And we had a opportunity when the government uh, asked Hendy Dimbleby to come up with a, a food plan uh, for... Well, you know, for the for, for the government and for the country. Hmm. Uh, so Henry asked us to put a submission in regarding the right to food. And the right to food, what we created with so many people, physicians, other politicians, uh, just had five demands as a key starting point, which is universal free school meals. Yeah. Ensuring that if you're on the minimum wage or the benefit, the government of the day, regardless of what colour they are, has to come to Parliament and tell us how much of that benefit is is available hmm. uh, and is sufficient to supply a healthy, nutritious diet. We know over 53% of people on universal credit are food insecure. Yeah. We know now, since 2010, now we've got more food bank than McDonald's. So there's obviously fundamentally something wrong with both the benefit system, but also how many people who were in work as well are actually utilising food banks. So that's a key part where the government have got to be accountable mm. uh, for what benefits are paid. Mm. Community kitchens is a key part as well. Utilising every act, uh, every resource that we've got within our communities to supply healthy, nutritious foods to people that are in need in a, in a manner which uh, is, is not stigmatised like food banks. Uh, so community kitchens are key. Uh, yeah. How do we utilise them uh, to ensure that we can, as I said, lift people up to poverty? And talking about food in, in, 
uh, future security as well. That's a key part in showing future security. So take, for instance, six weeks ago, uh, I was on an FSA committee and we were asking the supermarket chiefs about uh, capping the uh, prices for essential foods like baby formula milk. Hmm. You know, we've seen massive profits being made by supermarkets yeah. with the huge rise in food prices, which all of us, all your listeners, be, you know, will be really conscious of and suffering yeah. from. You know, 19.9%, uh, 0.1% increase uh, in food hmm. prices since March 2022 to 2023. That's a huge impact on people's yeah. squeeze budgets. But people, companies, you know, are, are profiteering. Uh, from uh, what we're seeing, and that's that's undoubtable. So that's a key part of the right to food as well, second mm. competition, and also planning in your local communities. You know, we're seeing fast food restaurants open up at a rate of knots. Uh, where I live, uh, it's not what we need. Yeah, you know, we've we already got plenty of fast food restaurants. We need more outlets that supply nutritious food. You know, that supply healthy food, which is which is which is affordable, so people can actually. Uh, eat in a healthy, nutritious manner. So all of them elements uh, are the starting point for what a right to food looks like. We've had councils sign up to a right to food. Uh, we've had mayors uh, sign up for a right to food. And that campaign will continue and continue until uh, we build up enough uh, political pressure yeah. uh, to ensure that the government of the day implements what a right to food look like because we st- we feel as though that's the fundamental starting block in rewiring the fight against food poverty. Definitely, definitely. And um, just before we let you go, could you just touch upon some of the issues that can uh, that food poverty can lead to, especially for school aged children? Well, that's another excellent question. And yesterday I was with a, a professor Ian Sinner from Alderay. Children's Hospital, which is one of the preeminent children's hospitals in the world. Yeah. Uh, and we were having a sit-down interview and I've done lots of work with Ian about how food poverty uh, impacts both on the short term but yeah. also has huge long-term effects on the children on the child's health then going into uh, adults. So we're storing up these huge amounts of problems mm. because kids aren't getting that healthy, nutritious start to a life. Yeah. And again, we talk about investments. Is there any greater leveling up investment than ensuring that every child can live a healthy, successful life? And that should be one of the fundamental key of blocks of any politician and any political party. Yeah. And that should be what we should be striving for as a country. The number of problems that are stored up, you know, from uh, you know asthma, breathing problems, there's so many problems that are stored up through not giving a child a healthy, nutritious start to life. Hmm. And again, that goes back to everything that we've talked about within the right to food. It is ensuring that every child, regardless of their economic situation in the home, has the ability to have that uh, healthy uh, start to life. It would save the NHS billions. There's been studies done what universal free school meals would do yeah. over the period of 40 years. It saves the country billions and billions of pounds. It's yeah. an absolute no-brainer. So we go back to what I talked about before, political choices. Hunger's yeah. a political choice. And all these outcomes, what we see from hunger, are political choices. Hmm. So the correct political choices have got to be made over the next couple of years to ensure that what we want to do is 
every child in this country. And I keep saying it because it's the mantra what I use when I go into meetings, yeah. uh, when I go into meetings with ministers, every child in this country has the same chance to succeed. And that's something which we all should be striving for. So I hope your listeners take that away today. Uh, look at what we do with the right to food. If they go on ianbairn.org, you'll see the campaign that we run. Yeah. Uh, how they can look at that and take it into their communities and work with us to build a right to food campaign in their communities because that's what we're striving to do. Fundamentally, we wire the system so it's yeah. fair and equitable for every single person in this country. Definitely, definitely. No, it's, it's, it's great work you're doing out there and hopefully, you know, it, we do make a change. Um, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Um, pleasure to speak to yourself yeah. as well. Keep thank, up you good so, thank you so much for joining us this morning and have a lovely morning. No problem. Take thank care. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye for now. So that was uh, Ian Byrne, an MP for Liverpool in West Derby. And, you know, he's uh, leading this great campaign, yeah. White to Food campaign. And, uh, you and know, he pointed out very beneficial yeah. points for our listeners mm. as well and how important um he- healthy rightfully so yeah, rightfully so exactly. healthy basically for our youth mm. it's the future of our society yeah. and if they're not getting the healthy nutritious yeah. diet and they're not able to afford it mm. from a young age yeah. then there's going to be health issues there's going to be other issues in the future and our society will be uh, suffering mm. in the end yeah because they are our our they are our future yeah. right um, so you know, it's uh, it's very important. Um, it, it basically reminded me of um, what our second yeah. caliph. A nation uh, cannot be reformed yeah, without its first youth, yeah. its youth, right? Exactly. And th- that reformation doesn't necessarily mean you know, like uh, uh, just like reforming their morals and stuff, but just generally. Generally, if you don't have a healthy yeah. body, you don't yeah. have a healthy mind, right? Exactly. exactly. So that's that's there's and a like he like he was mentioning, he didn't say he didn't like you know pick a certain group. He said every child, every child, right? Exactly. Right. Whether whether crop, they're, they're privileged, whether they're yeah. not privileged, yeah. every child is entitled to you know um, having a proper. Um, good right to food. Right exactly. to food. Exactly. Right to food. Exactly. 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 Perfect name for the yeah. campaign. Definitely. Um, so, you know, we are coming uh, up to the 8 o'clock news. <coughs> we will be taking a very short break for the 8 o'clock news and then we will be carrying on discussing this uh, topic and, you know, speak a bit more about the Islamic angle of it as well. And uh, then um, after the new, after that, we will be moving on to our second segment of the morning, uh, which is about allergies emergency incidents increase drastically uh, which is <coughs> kind of linked to food again mm. and uh, yeah hopefully you know we can uh, do that topic uh, well as well uh, please don't go anywhere and do join us after a very short break for the news and then we will carry on discussing this <laughs> Azrat Mirza Majru Ahmed is the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the most dynamic international community within Islam. The community was established by Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmed in Kardian, a small and remote village in India. He claimed to be the expected reformer of the latter days, the one awaited by all major world religions. Founded in 1889, the community has continued to spread throughout the world, flourishing under caliphate, the system of spiritual leadership established after the demise of the Holy Founder. The current successor of this movement, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, continues the work of the Holy Founder. 
to revive the spiritual and moral state of mankind. The movement embodies the benevolent message of Islam and its pristine purity, a movement that preaches peace, universal brotherhood, and submission to the will of God. Ahmadi Muslims have earned the distinction and reputation of being a law-abiding and peaceful community. Within a century, the movement has reached all the corners of the earth and has been recognized and praised by the global community. Your faith is dedicated to serving the society that you live in, and from what I've seen, heard, and, and experienced from mainstream charities, schools, and churches, your faith and community have contributed in significant ways. I have personally experienced and heard that you have raised tens of thousands of pounds uh, on sponsored walks for children, older people, and people with disabilities. You have dedicated yourselves to charitable social projects, and most significantly of all, you have not distinguished between faiths, ethnicities, or communities. <laughs> The community's many social projects, aimed at helping those in need, bears testimony to humanitarian concerns in respect of all human beings, regardless of race, color, or creed. The Armidian community have an extraordinary reputation abroad for charitable work in Africa, India, Bosnia, and Indonesia, amongst other places. But your note, your community here too have an extraordinary reputation. You have been generous with your time and resources, and you have made yourselves part of the wider community. The Ahmadiyya community has always been at the forefront, not only of helping their own, but actually helping within society as a whole, is one of the reasons why, if I may say to you, your presence in this country has been so beneficial to us. In the past hundred years, you have given so much to the society in the United Kingdom and to societies everywhere globally. You are among those who give and who not only take. You give so much to so many societies that I have seen and felt and listened to and watched. Ahmadis are also renowned for working to serve the greater good through social health and educational initiatives as well as mosque projects. Your own work, Your Holiness, particularly in West Africa, is well known. And we heard just now about your attempts to bring water and energy supplies to some of the poorest communities in West Africa. Together, we should fight common enemies such as illiteracy, disease, hunger, and poverty. The Admir Ahmadiyya mission has put structures in place towards the fight against these common enemies in order to enhance the dignity of man. The mission has been a vanguard and a partner in collaborating with government in the areas of education, health, agriculture, and human animation. Yeah, my dear, my community, the mission in Sierra Leone, really they've made a pivotal contribution uh, to the education in our country. You just have to look around wherever you are. And I have to say, Your Holiness, that I was touched by the way in which 
your predecessor as spiritual leader, instructed your community, the Amaday community, to befriend and look after those suffering as a result of the Bosnian conflict, and I was very impressed by that. Everywhere that mankind suffers, your members have been active in bringing help and saving lives and limbs. The community was created under divine guidance with the objective to rejuvenate Islamic moral and spiritual values. It encourages interfaith dialogue, diligently defending Islam and attempting to correct misunderstandings about the religion in the West. I very much welcome this opportunity of paying tribute to the wonderful work which has been done by the Ahmadiyya community towards the objective which we're seeking to promote this evening of achieving peace through understanding and tolerance. The Ahmadiyya community are doing a tremendous job in building bridges between the different communities in our country, between different ethnic, linguistic uh, and religious groups up and down the country. And I also know that they have a wonderful record in other parts of the world. I'd like to start by saying just how important the work of the Ahmadiyya community is. It deepens others' understanding of your own faith and it gives a voice to those who are marginalised in their own societies. Now, what has so impressed me as I have come to understand more about uh, the Ahmadiyya faith is your remarkable commitment to interfaith dialogue, your commitment to the principle of non-compulsion in religion and your commitment to peace and tolerance. You, the Ahmadis, stand as a beacon in your strong belief that we must find the answers to these debates through open, thoughtful and gentle discussion. And you are also a beacon because you show us that we must find the answers to these debates through practical action. The Ahmadiyya Mission is one religious organization in Ghana which has demonstrated ample tolerance in terms of its preparedness to cooperate with all other religious bodies, Muslim and Christian alike. How good you have been to our community, the community that you found here. Today you reflect so many professions, so many different walks of life. You uphold all the virtues and the vigorous ethics that uh, your faith has given you from birth. At this pivotal point in international relations, many questions and concerns have been raised concerning the doctrines of Islam. Most have incorrectly interpreted Islam as endorsing violence and terrorism. The Ahmadiyya community has always demonstrated the spirit of tolerance, goodwill and true brotherhood. It advocates peace, love and understanding among followers of different faiths. It firmly believes in and acts upon Quranic teachings. It strongly rejects violence and terrorism in any form and for any reason. The movement offers a clear presentation of Islamic wisdom, philosophy, morals and spirituality as derived from the Holy Quran and the practice of the Holy Prophet of Islam, Muhammad. Peace and blessings of Allah be on him. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show Day listeners. We were discussing less food for free school meals. 
So in terms of that, um, you know, during the summer holidays, many councils in England offer food vouchers of parents of school children who are in need of financial aid. However, since last year, 67 out of 92 councils have decreased the money on vouchers or kept it the same. That means, you know, less um, people are getting the financial support. Yeah, and obviously and, the uh, financial crisis right yeah. now, it's in a turmoil and then if on top of that they're dis- decreasing the money on vouchers mm. then it just becomes even harder no yeah. no yeah, definitely mm. uh holiday activities and food a program um with events for providing childcare healthy meals and activities and such they've uh, for low income families over the summer they say that um uh, there are no children holiday schemes like HAF available in Northern Ireland. So over 96,000 children who would be considered eligible are missing out. Mm. And, um, you know, there's many children here as well that are missing out as well because of this. But, you know, there are some actions being taken in place in regards to this. The Scottish government has 21.75 million in funding available to support uh, eligible children over the holidays. The Welsh uh, government is spending 4.85 million on a holiday program where children will be able to participate in activities as well as have a meal. And some local councils are helping out with funding with money from their own budget. But, you know, um, the government needs to, you know, uh, especially the UK government as well, they need to take proper steps and, um, you know, make sure that each child is cared and taken for. Mm. Uh, just like the, you know, um, the programme, A Right to Food campaign by um, you Ian. Know, uh, Ian, yeah. uh, Ian Byrne, the MP we spoke to from Liverpool. Mm. Um, what what does Islam Islam's teachings in regard to this? What I think if say? we if we look at the Islamic perspective, yeah. um, there's a narration of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of God be upon him. Yeah. Um, he says that his um, he is not a believer mm. who eats and he is full yeah. while his neighbor yeah. is hungry. Mm. So if we go by this narration, and if the government even goes by this narration, yeah. and acts upon this it will benefit the whole of society as mm, a whole. Definitely. Because definitely. we know that Islam is a universal religion. It has teachings for all of mankind and for the it has teachings for the past and it also we will be able to take our teachings mm. of Islam for the future. Yeah. And if we implement this or the government can implement this it, teaching of Islam, I think it will it will benefit them a lot. Mm. Also there's a there's an incident of the second caliph in Islam, mm. Hazrat Umar, may Allah be pleased with him. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful incident. Uh, once um, he came across a woman mm. and her children who were crying because mm. they were they were really hungry. Yeah. And Hazrat Umar uh, asked them if they had anything to eat. Uh, the woman um, said that she only had some water, which at that time she was just boiling. Yeah. So if you can imagine, she was just boiling mm. water mm. because they had nothing else yeah. to feed her or the children. Then the woman said that God would judge between them and Hazrat Umar mm. as he was to watch over them and was unaware of their condition. Mm. So she was basically saying that she didn't you, know. You, she didn't yeah. know that was uh, that, that was uh, you know um, uh, Hazrat Umar. Uh, may Allah be pleased with him. She didn't know that was him. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously so that's why she was speaking in, yeah, in, in that regard yeah. because she knew obviously there's a leader yeah. who's looking over us, yeah. but he will be answerable. And, yeah. and Hazrat Umar <laughs> was directly there. Yeah. Um, so Hazrat Umar went to the stores and carried some food back hmm. himself yeah. for the family. Yeah. Someone was accompanying Hazrat Umar, but he said, "No, I will carry it myself and go and give it to hmm. the family." Yeah. 
and uh, when and the fa- when he gave it to the family <coughs> the family were then able to satisfy their hunger and the mm. woman expressed her thanks saying that he was worthy of mm. praise yeah. um and hazrat umar told the woman that when she went to uh, see the leader mm. of the believers she would find him there as well yeah. so this was the example that hazrat umar has set mm. so he was always outside looking at the society as a whole and looking at the situation mm. that was occurring and he was trying to benefit and trying to help people in need and also there's another there's another narration uh, where the holy prophet says that the best of you is those who feed others yeah and once you're f- feeding others you're obviously benefiting them mm. and we know that uh, in islam if you benefit others um it is a way the prophet has beautifully explained it, it is a way of prolonging your own life hmm. because in the quran yeah. uh, what god states is that wamama yanfa'u nas fa yamkutu fil ard that whosoever benefits anything hmm. will have a longer life hmm. so if we if i benef- benefit you for example even if it's a minor deed because hmm. i'm benefiting you yeah. god will look at that person and say that look he's benefiting my creation hmm. so why shouldn't i prolong his life so he yeah. can remain and benefit even more. Mm. And I think the best way we we what we know in Islam to uh, to benefit others is that by praying for them. Mm. So once you pray for them, that is the best way you can benefit them. Definitely. definitely. And and once uh, we start praying for someone, we know we as our prayers mm. are also accepted. Mm. So there's a narration that um, once if you pray for anyone mm. at the same time the angels say the same for you, yeah. the same for you. Yeah. And if the angels are praying for you we know their prayers are not being accepted so as mm. a whole if we look mm. at the teaching of islam it's very very beautiful mm. um from feeding children to feeding others to helping others to benefiting others and i think the government the council people who are looking after any country mm. can benefit a lot if they follow their true teachings also you know it says <coughs> in the holy quran that kulu washrabu wala tusrifu that eat and drink um but but do, not do not exceed, exceed its bounds yeah. right so yeah. you know we see uh, in today's society um in a lot of you know big uh, uh not even just big restaurants a lot of like normal restaurants or fast food chains um they throw out a lot of good food because you know it's gone like one day has passed yeah right oh, it's not just, u- because it's not used yeah it's not used mm. and they throw it out instead of throwing it out they could you know give it to like homeless people yeah. give it to children in need yeah. even if it is just junk food at mm. least it's, it's something mm. right we 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 get it we're talking about nutritional food but some people don't even have access to any no, kind yeah, of any kind of, of, food. Kind of to fill right? their belly to fill their yeah. stomach yeah, yeah. so um, you know even we should be mindful at home as well mm. that you know we shouldn't um, mm. uh, don't need to you know go over the limit mm. and yeah. just just to you know fill your belly yeah. just to be content if we always it, yeah. have that in mind that there's someone out yeah. there who could be benefiting from yeah. this what I'm wasting right now yeah. you'll be more careful to throw that extra piece of bread mm. in 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 the bin you'll try to there, there's also a narration i believe that the hand that gives is better yeah. than the hand no, that receives right exactly yeah exactly so you should always think of people that are you know lower than you are, yeah. less fortunate than you and you should not you should think about them which will make you uh, feel uh that you're in a better, better standing position, as yeah. well yeah. and then you will be more considerate to them and yeah. you know you can donate to mm. them you can help them out mm. and that is the way you know islam teaches us mm. to live and that the narration is, is that i believe um always look at others yeah. that are less fortunate yeah. than you so that you become more grateful yeah. to what you to, have to to what you have yeah, yeah. 
definitely so dear listeners uh, we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far uh, we'll be taking a very short break and then we will be moving on to our second segment of the morning allergies emergency incidents increase drastically don't go anywhere and please do join us after a very short break simplified answers to frequently asked questions what is the difference between Ahmadi Muslims and non-Ahmadi Muslims this needs a very lengthy answer but briefly the main difference is in the belief concerning the advent of the Imam Mahdi, the Prince Messiah, and the Reformer of the latter days. Non-Ahmadi Muslims expect that he will be sent by God in fulfilment of the prophecies of the Holy Prophet and are waiting for his advent. On the other hand, Ahmadi Muslims believe that his advent has already taken place and that the prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian who also claimed that his advent fulfilled the prophecies that were mentioned in the scriptures of different religions about the coming of a reformer in the latter days. The followers of these religions, including non-Ahmadi Muslims, are still waiting for his advent. As for Ahmadi Muslims, as a result of believing that his advent has already taken place, they enjoy many blessings that other Muslims are deprived of. For example, Ahmadi Muslims enjoy the institution of Khilafat, which means that they are all united under one leadership and are escorted by a guided spiritual leader, while other Muslims remain divided and they disagree amongst themselves concerning many issues. Also, Ahmadi Muslims follow the true teaching of Islam as a result of following the teachings of the reformer of the age. The very important difference between the two is that Ahmadi Muslims believe in a living God whose attributes remain the same at all times, while other Muslims believe that some of his attributes have become idle. For example, his speech with his sincere servants. They think that he used to speak in the past, but for some reason, at the present time, he has stopped communicating with his servants through revelations. Writings of the Promised Messiah, salam. It should be remembered that God Almighty, by demanding faith in the unseen, does not wish to deprive the believers of certainty of understanding the divine. Indeed, faith is a ladder for arriving at the certainty of understanding, without which it is vain to seek true understanding. Those who climb this ladder surely experience for themselves the pure and undefiled spiritual verities when a sincere believer accepts divine commands and directions for the only reason that God Almighty has bestowed upon him through a righteous bearer he becomes deserving of the bounty of understanding. That is why God Almighty has established a law for His servants, that they should first acknowledge Him by believing in the unseen, so that all the problems they face may be resolved through the bounty of true understanding. But it is a pity that a hasty one does not adopt these ways. Alimul <laughs> 
People are asking, Who is the gracious God? The gracious God is He who has created the sun and the moon for our benefit. The sun with which human life and the life of vegetation is associated. Through the attribute of Rahman, God grants without being asked. Can one say that the sun or the earth was created on account of one's deeds? Rahman is a being that grants beneficence of the kind that man does not have the capacity of giving. It is by virtue of being gracious that all creation receives God's universally prevalent beneficence. Prophets of God summon people to the gracious God for people's own good and not for any recompense. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, states, The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the perfect manifestation of Rahman because his beneficence is incomparable. Being the perfect man, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had this quality in him more than anyone else and an ordinary person, too, should aspire to the paradigm, deriving luminosity from the sun of 1400 years ago. In this age, the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, has further spread the light, the light of the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, is from that same gracious God. The quality of Rahmaniyat is pure favor and munificence and is not caused by any good act and is not the fruit or reward of anything. Despite humanity rejecting God, His Rahmaniyat remains overwhelming. If it were not for this divine quality, majority of humanity would have been destroyed because of its misdemeanors and sins. Despite rejecting God, people are asking, Who is the gracious God? Ashhadu anna Muhammadan 
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. A new station, The Voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with The Voice of Islam. Uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show that um, we will be now moving on to our second segment of the show which is allergies emergency incidents increases drastically uh, just before we do you know swiftly move on there is uh, you know one uh, brief audio clip that we forgot to mention uh, in regards to free school meals in the last segment we will be playing that now so let's listen to that one and then we will you know move on to the next segment in fact so Sab asks a question which is very similar uh, just picking up from you as a new side, uh, Dr. Sabi speaks about the the idea of poverty. He says that the 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 standard of the poor today is is, is far greater than what it was say a hundred years ago. So when we, the overall standard of the poor is improving, uh, do we need to make an effort, as as a new side said, to bring them up to the standard of the rich of today? Well, there will always be in society a difference between those people who have and those people who have not. But I would uh, not totally agree with the statement that the questioner has made because if you go to many parts of the world, and as Aranisab has said, has visited some of those, we find that the standard of the poor is still very dire. This is abject poverty that we are speaking about. You know, of a, of a population of 7 billion, we know that a third of, the, of those people live on perhaps less than $2 a day. And, and that is the family that is li- living on that. We know that over a million uh, children go hungry every day. We know that the over 1.7 billion people have sort of diseases which are easily preventable. So when we look at these type of statistics, we have to question whether the, the standards of the poor has been raised to any, in, any level at all. It may have been raised in the Western countries, in, in fact, that people in Western nations perhaps don't find themselves facing that abject poverty that we find in underdeveloped countries as such. But we are looking at a global picture of the human race as, as one. And that is what is important for us to focus on, is that the standard of those people who are living below the poverty line has to be raised. And these are the steps that mankind, with the equality that Azhar Hanif has talked about, has, has to be equal distribution, so that no mouth goes hungry during, uh, during the night, and every child is fed at night. That is what the minimum requirement is. Yes, welcome back to The Breakfast Show. We will now be swiftly moving on to the second segment of the show which I mentioned earlier was allergies emergency incidents increases drastically 
So dangerous allergic reactions are rising in England and now cause some 25,000 NHS hospital stays a year. That, that is the figure that the data shows. So we do have online with us our uh, guest uh, caller for this uh, segment this morning. We have uh, Amina Warner with us, who is uh, Head of Clinical Services for Allergy UK, helping to raise awareness of allergy nationally and internationally, supporting the charity's aims and helping people where possible. Good morning, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, just to begin with, could you tell us what is Allergy UK and what the aims of it are uh, to do? Well, yes, our, um, uh, we are Allergy UK and we are the leading national patient charity uh, that supports all areas of allergic disease, whether it's food allergy or um, allergy to medications um, and hay fever, uh, all the spectrum and manifestations of allergic disease we will support. We provide information, advice and support to people affected by allergy and we also provide education and support for non-specialist healthcare professionals um, as well as uh, we do masterclasses for healthcare professionals as well. Um, our, uh, our aim is that, uh, well, our vision is that nobody should die of allergy. Yeah. We have a mission for everyone in the UK to take allergy seriously and our goals are to empower, educate, research and influence. Yeah, definitely. And um, could you, you know, just briefly um, explain, you know, I'm sure everyone <laughs> knows what it is, but what is uh, an allergy and like what is an allergic reaction? Yes, of course. Um, an allergic reaction is an abnormal uh, immunological response to something that would be generally deemed to be tolerated. So such as a food we might eat or a pollen that we might inhale in, something that the majority of people wouldn't have a problem with. But people who have allergic disease, um, they have an immunological response that gives them allergy. Yeah. And for our um, listeners, um, I'm sure all of them do know someone who has an allergy, uh, but what percentage of people in the UK suffer from an allergy? Well, um, uh, it, it's very hard to actually put a, a figure in it, but the last um, uh, set of collective results if we have from uh, in 2010 it was deemed that 44 percent of adults um, had uh, one or more um, things they were allergic to uh, if you look at some statistics in the uk they say 50 percent of children have um, uh, an allergy uh, other statistics say 40 percent so uh, perhaps the result really is between 40 and 50 percent now we did have some um, uh, some analysis done by our european uh, uh, academy of allergy and clinical immunology that predicted by uh, 2025 that 50 percent of people uh, across europe would have um, uh, one or more things they were allergic to. So we do know that the number of people with allergies is rising. Approximately, they, they say, about 5% every year. So that um, in the UK, um, as we currently um, know these statistics, approximately 2% of adults 
and 8% of children in the UK have a food allergy. And offer cow's milk allergy is more prevalent in the um, under fives. Uh, and that's more prevalent in the UK than anywhere else in Europe. Yeah, 50% is a very high percentage indeed. Um, uh, my next Absolutely. question, yeah, exactly. My next question is, what is anaphylaxis and what are some signs of it? For well, um, anaphylaxis is a severe <laughs> allergic reaction. It's um, uh, serious and it's life-threatening. So it, uh, it has the potential to be fatal. So it's something that happens very, very quickly. It is a medical emergency and it's rapid in onset and it requires immediate medical attention. So um, and what, how we um, classify anaphylaxis is anything that might affect uh, the respiratory system or the cardiovascular system, uh, causing things like uh, severe um, tightening of the chest so you can't breathe or a drop in blood pressure where you might collapse or a, a baby might go all floppy, etc. Um, that is how we would set, after a trigger allergen, that is what we would call anaphylaxis. Yeah, and is it triggered by a certain thing or it is? Usually, um, uh, anaphylaxis is triggered by um, uh, what um, somebody who has allergy has first of all, uh, because it's an immunological response, first of all, they have to be sensitized to that allergen. Mm. Um, and usually there is exposure to that allergen. And then the body makes what they call uh, an, an IgE response, an immunoglobulin E response to that allergen. And then the person then, if they go on to develop symptoms suggestive of allergy, that's when people will say, oh, they're allergic to whatever it might be, a, a food or a grass pollen or mm. a medication such as penicillin, etc. Mm. And then they might have a potential for that reaction to be quite serious and um, uh, go on to uh, have anaphylaxis. So we we don't uh, we can predict some of the people who might um, go on to have fatal anaphylaxis, such as if somebody has severe asthma and their asthma is uncontrolled and they have a food allergy, then they are more at risk. Um, so we would want to safeguard those type of people and maximise their um, therapy for uh, their asthma to make sure their asthma is brought under well con uh, under control. So we try and prevent any fatalities from mm. anaphylaxis. And so what you're seeing here with these admissions is people recognising um, that uh, there is an allergic uh, reaction going on and finding their way uh, to hospitals to have it treated. And so um, what we do know is the fatalities haven't gone up over the years, although the incident and the prevalence of allergy in the UK has increased. Mm. Yeah, and just before we let you go, um, one last question that we wanted to ask was, what is the difference between an allergy and an intolerance? Yes, we do get asked that um, question quite a lot. 
um, uh, the differences between allergy and intolerance. Um, So if you think about um, uh, uh, a food intolerance, it's the name given to adverse reactions to foods that do not involve the immune system. So some people with an intolerance to certain food uh, may typically be able to eat small amounts without experiencing any problems. And often the problems can be stomach upset, some of them might have a bit of a rash, etc. But food intolerances, although they can be very unpleasant, they don't cause any fatal food reactions. Whereas food allergy is a, a response caused by the immune system when it overreacts So when uh, the person is exposed to the food allergy that they're allergic to, the immune system will overreact uh, because don't forget our immune system is our defense mechanism against bacteria, viruses, etc. So when you have an extreme immunological response, all all the body's immune system come into play. So we've got lots of inflammatory, uh, what we call mediators, but it is this IgE that really um, uh, causes the initial um, release of all the histamine, etc. So some people are so sensitive that only a small amount of the food can cause a reaction. And in some cases, this reaction can result in a serious life-threatening reaction, which we call anaphylaxis. And anaphylaxis, in some cases, can be fatal. Yeah. Um, Thank you very much, Amina. Um, Hope you have a great morning and thank you for benefiting our listeners and also us in the studio here. And thank you for asking Allergy UK to be your guest. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was, you know, a a very insightful um, interview that we had uh, with Amina Warner in regards to allergy. And, you know, I think we we learned some new stuff as well in in, in regards to this as well. Uh, And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, what, what, you know, um, the diff- for example, the difference between allergy and intolerances. Yeah. So, so some co- common allergies are food, um, pollen, animals, perfumes, and <coughs> household chemicals and mold. And allergies can affect in uh, about one in fourteen people in the UK. They normally affect children. An allergic reaction. <coughs> Uh, normally happens very quickly when exposed to an allergen and this can uh, cause itchy red watery eyes sneezing um, red rash cough, uh, coughing a running or blocked nose mm. and worsening of asthma um, I'm sure in, in, yeah. in, in the in the condition that we're living in today a lot of people will or a lot of people will know someone that has a hay fever mm. and that's a form of uh, allergy as well to yeah. pollen I believe. And as she, you know, she was speaking about anaphylaxis earlier, you know, that can cause death, uh, which mm. can happen at any age, and anaphylaxis is on the rise. Yeah. Um, so uh, allergies are very common. They affect one in four people in the UK. Uh, normally happens in children. When the child gets older, some allergies might go away, but many can be lifelong. Mm. <coughs> and um, some of the... I think the Islamic yeah. perspective on uh, allergies and health um, in general mm. is that in Surah Al-Nahl, uh, verses 69 to 70 of the Holy Quran, yeah. God Almighty says that, And thy Lord has inspired the bee, saying, Make thou houses in the hills and in the trees, mm. and in the <coughs> trellises which they build. 
they eat of every kind of fruit and follow the ways of thy Lord that have been made easy for thee. There come forth from their bellies a drink of varying hues therein is cure for men. Surely is that in that is a sign for a people who reflect. Mm. Especially if we concentrate on the part where it says therein is yeah. cure for men. Yeah. Um, God Almighty has told us that H- honey, honey yeah. in general has mm. a lot of um, purity and um, beneficial mm. um, health beneficial um, aspects into it. And there, if we study, um, or our scientists and researchers mm. study more into honey, mm. I think we will be able to find um, such causes in that um, mm. liquid that can cure us. Yeah, from there's different many kind different of like types of honey as well. Apparently, like yeah, some specialists have said that even you know if you look into all the different types yeah. and the properties of honey, then mm. you could even find the cure of cancer. In exactly. There. That's exactly. how like. And I think each each type of honey, honey has its different yeah. benefits for yeah. different different uh, diseases. But I think um, we have to um, do more research into mm. this as a whole to yeah. find its uh, full benefit. In a Friday sermon, um, His Holiness May Allah be um, his helper discussed the health situations of people who are sick all over the world and the level of treatment they received based on whether they reside in developed and developing nations. Uh, His Holiness stated that under specific circumstances, people suffering from specific disease seek appropriate medical care at cutting-edge facilities, but they may or may not recover. Similar to this, it has been noted that many people in underdeveloped nations who are sick do not have the resources or access to medical care. (coughs) Yet they heal miraculously thanks to the prayers of their elders and loved ones. This demonstrates that it is in fact God, the healer, who has the power to grant uh, he- uh, health and healing. And, you know, one of the attributes of uh, the Almighty is Ashafi, that mm. he is, you know, he is the healer. Um, mm. So, you know... Uh, we do have a brief audio clip. Yes, we do We do have a brief audio clip in regards to this. So let's uh, listen to that one. I know this may be my second question, but uh, why did God Almighty introduce disease, the creatures of the earth? What is the disease? Sickness. Lack of health. Yes. So it is health which God gave us by misbehaving, by not caring for our health, we fall ill. You see, this air which we are breathing today, now here, all of us together, is polluted with all sorts of bacteria. If we were not healthy, we will all die, we will catch 101 types of diseases. So it is what disease is, is essentially lack of health. If human beings had behaved correctly and uh, in the light of the teachings of Allah had framed their way of life, I believe there would be very little uh, misery, there would be very little disease. Still, disease cannot be wiped out, even if we behave well. Why? Because it has other... uh, Uh, objectives to achieve. According to Allah, according to the scheme of things, this life on earth is a life of trial, happiness and sorrow, pleasure and pain, health and disease. So life continues to oscillate between these two extremities and in each of the two we are tried. And it is a 
like an examination hall where the, the boys are asked questions and they are not permitted the use of books. While all the year round, if they don't use books, they will be punished for not be using books. But in the examination hall, the rules are changed. You are punished if you, if you consult your books there in the examination hall. So the world, the life on earth here is like a huge examination hall where we are tried, both in health and in, sick, in sickness. So that was uh, the fourth caliph of the MD Muslim community, Hazrat uh, Khalifa al-Masih Rabe. Uh, may Allah have mercy on him. And, you know, he was speaking about um, uh, how... Um, you know, we, we can attain, you know, better health and uh, what can be done in regards to that. And, uh, you know, the topic at hand, we're speaking about um, allergies. And um, if uh, so, uh, someone does have an allergic reaction, you know, there's a lot of people, they're allergic to like peanuts and like apples and stuff. Yeah. And they have to carry around. A, a, Even dairy products. Yeah, yeah. dairy products. Um, they have to carry around like an EpiPen yeah. that, you know, they stab themselves yeah. and then like it. It kills them. Yeah, it, it doesn't kill them. <laughs> it cures them. Yeah. It cures them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, apologies. It cures yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, our thoughts and prayers go out to all those people. And you know, there's as we've seen that the power of prayer is limitless. Yeah. It's endless. Like someone, <coughs> you know, there's been many cases where doctors have given up on patients. Yeah. And uh, you know, um, could be. That's could when they've be, cried uh, out to yeah, God. They've cried out to God and. Uh, or they've asked like some saints or you know some people have asked uh, the caliph mm. um, there's a number of, of incidents there's yeah. many incidents especially in our community yeah, I think you can ask well. anyone there's a lot of times that doctors have said nothing can be done yeah but uh, through the power of prayer exactly the, you know the tables have been turned and then the doctors are shocked the themselves doctors are shocked how as well. this yeah. was possible because yeah. they've never seen such a exactly. uh, recovery exactly and it's just all comes down to the fact that at the end, if mm. you have that connection with God Almighty yeah. and you have him by your side, mm. then anything is possible. Of Even course. if it's a minor thing like an allergy or it could not be a health uh, uh, issue, which is not so minor. Yeah. And, you know, we see that everything that every trial that we're going through, we should ask God for help. Mm. In, the, in the narrations, it says that even if you have a, such a small request, Hmm. Even a person or a human can fulfill. You should still go out and ask God for it. Yeah. So we should always remember <laughs> that um, we have a Lord who can help us at any time. And we shouldn't um, be shy of asking him for anything. Yeah, definitely. So we are reaching to the end of today's breakfast show, dear listeners. We would like to thank all our listeners for tuning in and our experts for taking out time to discuss the topics. I'd like to thank the producers, um, Munib Mirza and uh, Maria Sheikh, and our researchers, uh, Nawera Khan, Sofia Shanwari, Tamsila Khuram, uh, Marjala Ahmed, uh, Naima Jodri, and of course our technical department, uh, Akib Ahmed, and um, Brother Abdul Halim as well, the fellow presenter with me. And for... Um, you know, tomorrow as well, there'll be an uh, interesting uh, show for you guys as well with an interesting lineup of uh, topics. And, you know, the breakfast show, it runs from Monday to Friday, 7 to 9 a.m. So you can tune in uh, every day. And uh, there's also many different other shows as well, such as Drive Time, which runs Monday to Friday as well, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So do 
tune in and uh, you know you can also give us your feedback this is a live show you can call us in at any time at 0286 877878 or you can tweet us at the voice of islam uk if you do have any feedback for now dear listeners please do have a good morning take care peace be upon you and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh